It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. You can also listen on the iHeartRadio app if you download the app and search for Element FM, or 106.5 or 95.7. You can listen anywhere you go. It's a pleasure to welcome back to Moment of Truth. I have with me the Chief Curator of the McMichael Canadian Art Collection, Sarah Milroy. And it's a pleasure to have her back, as I say. And, you know, Sarah, I was looking over, you were on the show back in October of 2020. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's nice to be back with you. It's uh, it's always a great, you know, connection to make. And we're we're busy up at the McMichael doing things. And it's, it's wonderful that, you know, we have your help in telling people about it making some changes. Yeah, and speaking of changes, there have been so many changes since you have been on the show. Uh, if you think about it, you know, uh, just in terms of the world, of course, COVID continues. We're getting a little bit of a handle on that. And that would be, you know, great to talk about a little bit in terms of what the gallery is doing and and how you're dealing with that and things are opening up maybe a little bit more for you, etc. Yeah, we're going to be open to the public again on the 21st Great. of July, mm-hmm. and we're super excited about that because we've had this show early days, uh, Indigenous Art of the Big Michael, that's been up now for over a year mm. during COVID as the gallery has been forced to close yeah. and then reopen again right. and close again. And So we're going to have a run of about three weeks. The show has to come down on August 15th. Mm. So, you know, people who are interested in Indigenous art should definitely try and make it up to, to Kleinberg um, and and see that show because it couples the historic materials that were collected right back at the founding of our museum mm-hmm. all the way through the kind of contemporary art that was being made in the 80s and 90s by, you know, the the now the superstars of the Indigenous art scene mm-hmm. and then through to a raft of, of new acquisitions of mm-hmm. artists of our current moment mm-hmm. who needed to be you know, needed to be represented in our collection, and we were able to make those acquisitions. So we've had, mm. it's actually, you know, the run-up to COVID was really bearing down on that project, and now right. it's up, as I say, till August 15th. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and then, you know, the show we're going to be talking about today, I think, is Uninvited, which opens the beginning of September, or September 9th. And that, you know, that is a show about women artists in Canada, and it includes both settler and Indigenous women. And... So we're just, you know, we've just finished the book, it's gone off to print, and we're mm. just sort of like lying back and taking a deep breath before we, you know, right. <laughs> head into this next yeah. adventure. Well, speaking of the, of the early days, and, and you know, that you say it's coming down uh, August? August 15th. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as I was looking over the website, of course, I, I always see that you have materials that go along with these things. And sometimes there's uh, items to purchase that people can pick up once they're going through there that they can mm-hmm. take with them. Yeah. Uh, so they can carry that with them and, and have that as a memento and, of, of course, always look back at it. Um, yes. So does that go with uh, with any of the of the exhibitions that you put on? Oh, yeah. I mean, usually the big, you know, the the big um, offering mm. for people to take home is the catalog. Right. In the case, and in this case, um, because we had so much work to do to really, you know, dig into the history of some of the objects that have been held in the institution. Mm-hmm. In many cases, you know, for that show, we knew 
like what part of the coast the objects came from. Mm. But, you know, if, in the case of some masks and, and rattles and, you know, really important historic materials that, that we hold, mm-hmm. but not much more was known. So we did quite a bit of, you know, as quickly and efficiently as we could using, you know, expertise from the Indigenous community to figure out, you know, what we could, what we could get onto the wall labels as a kind of first stab at taking a big step forward in terms mm-hmm. of our knowledge. But we're going to be spending the next two years uh, working in detail on, you know, expanding our understanding of these these works and the objects and the families that they come from and the the situations that they come out of. And uh, I'll be doing the work on um, that book with Bonnie Devine, who many mm-hmm. of your listeners will know well, fantastic artist and also a great scholar right. and uh, a wonderful friend. And she, Bonnie is also going to be doing, um, at the same time as we're working on this book together, she's going to be making a major uh, installation uh, at the McMichael on the ramp that leads you up into the gallery. So it's a sort of a part of the gallery that everyone experiences. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be making a, an installation work about the Carrying Place Trail and the history of the Indigenous peoples in the region around the McMichael. So and we're borrowing some archaeological um, objects, um, effigy pipes and other extraordinarily important things from the Toronto Regional Conservation Authority, which has been doing excavations in the Humber River Valley for decades and decades. Mm. So, you know, she'll be bringing all of that together, helping us all to have a more more deep and profound sense of place mm. uh, where the McMichael sits. And right. then, yeah, we're going to get cracking on this book and we'll be probably having 30 or 40 different writers from across the country responding to the things that are in the McMichael collection and um, we'll come out with, you know, a great big Mm. gorgeous book in a couple of years time that I hope will be, you know, a mix of all different kinds of scholarship and knowledge keeping and, and right. points of view. Yes. Um, these are the kind of books we love to make. So right. yeah, I'm super excited about it. Now you mentioned Bonnie and of course, Bonnie was on the show with you last time. And I think um, yeah. we talked maybe a little bit about that project. Had that started at that time? Well, we, you know, Bonnie was going to be doing that project and then COVID happened. And right. then we thought it was, we were going to get through that and she yeah. was going to be able to do it starting yes. in the spring yes. of this year. Yes. And then COVID <laughs> happened again. So it's been like <laughs> this long deferred, you know, uh, mm-hmm. event, but we are, you know, very much hoping that we'll all be in a, in a universe where October we're all in museums and we're, we're fine. Um, and that's the thought is that she would start into the process. There's some salvaging and, you know, foraging uh, mm-hmm. in the, in the um, lands around the McMichael that she wants to do. She wants to engage with some mm-hmm. organic materials mm-hmm. that are, you know, on or near our site and bring those into the gallery and as well as, you know, scholarly um, documents right. and as I say these archaeological finds and right. so there's you know there's um, many strands to it and it's quite a complex project but mm-hmm. I think the plan is to get underway in September or October and we're just praying we can do that if not it'll be spring right you know like <laughs> as I said these the the carrying place trail has been there for 5,000 years at mm-hmm. least so mm-hmm. <laughs> we're trying not to panic about timelines here <laughs> right. but uh we sure can't wait to have her with us it's gonna right. be great yeah sounds very exciting i just <laughs> want to go back to the early days once more given uh the recent events that have happened across the country mostly out west and into the midwest of canada with yes the of course finding of unmarked uh, graves. How do you think that someone coming through and seeing the exhibit at this point, and maybe you've walked through it yourself, do you think it, it might 
have a, a different perspective for pe- for people as they go through it? It's a really interesting question. Like I, I think one of the very strong feelings in the show mm. is of is of vitality mm. and and mm. vibrancy and intensity mm. and you know and sensuality and mm-hmm. you know strength really and you know it's it's there are very dark moments in the show mm. there are you know i'm just thinking right now of, a, of an extraordinary painting by robert Houle that is a black on black painting in which porcupine quills mm. are embedded and you know we can see that painting in a room full of um ceremonial gift attire that would have been given from an indigenous person in the great lakes region to a british officer uh, in the late 1700s and it's a a full set of ceremonial attire Mm. that was you know given in diplomacy but we understand now through the vantage point of history of how equitable that diplomacy ended up you know like what ended up happening there Mm. um there's also in that same gallery um works by ruth cuthand that are are beaded viruses so there's the exchange of diplomacy there's the exchange of 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 um of viruses um it's all about the kind of catastrophic aspect of the coming together of colonial peoples and indigenous peoples so you know there is that that dark note in the show Mm. But those works are 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 strong and powerful and and grounded, hmm. and you know elsewhere in the show, like there's a whole room full of Carl Beam, you know mm-hmm. this incredibly um, sophisticated and sensitive, you know 20th century citizen who made these you know amazing amalgams of his own indigenous knowledge, archival records, and then the art, recent art histories of artists such as Rosenberg that you know, or Edward Mar- Moybridge going back in time further. So, you know, th- there there are amazing works, of course, by Norval Morisot, who's mm-hmm. very close to our heart at McMichael. Mm-hmm. And then in a call and response to Norval Morisot, there's a huge wall mural by Dwayne Linklater, who you'll probably know, contemporary artist mm-hmm. who lives, I think, in North Bay, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was a gift to us from a, a private collector to bring that into our collection, to be in dialogue with our Morisot collection. The Dwayne Linklater mural relates to Norval's commission to do a, um, to do a mural for Expo, 67 mm-hmm. and in there, it ended up being a really important censorship case where he wanted to paint mother earth suckling a, a baby cub and a baby human and this then the, the the government agencies were like no we can't have any suckling going on <laughs> at expo you know it's a family event <laughs> so norvell you know boriso refused to paint the thing mm. and Dwayne has gotten very interested in that legacy and mm and Morisot's act of refusal and has made this mural as a kind of a act of expression of solidarity with, with Morisot's position of mm. refusing to be deployed, you know, as a mascot for Canadian, mm. you know, identity when indigenous people were treated unfairly, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that time, as they continue to be today by the government. Right. So, you know, there's, there's, there's strong, strong statements throughout the show. You know, the show opens with a major work by Kent Monkman, which has recently been given to us. Um, it also has um, his early, his first performance as Miss Chief on, on horseback was at the McMichael grounds. Mm. And so, you know, we've included that video in the show as well. Mm. So, you know, there are, there's a robust and 
really extraordinary um, presentation of Northwest Coast masks mm. that we've come to know a lot more about in the past months that we've been working on this. Mm. And, you know, they're all out for people to see and some contemporary carving examples as well that have come into the collection. So everything in the show, uh, I, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, is in our collection right. or is a promised gift. Right. And so it really shows like a third of the McMichael's collection is Indigenous. Mm. And... Wow. Um, you know, that's not something people know about us, but it's mm-hmm. certainly something that's got me super engaged. And as I say, we're, you know, we're working with people, um, different knowledge holders and stakeholders to figure out how to bring more, you know, knowledge about those works and also make them more available to people. Right. Right. So people can see that early days up until August 15th. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, and if you go onto the website, actually, there's a, a few little teasers and things that people can yeah. see and look at through there as well. Uh, as I'm looking at this, uh, Sarah, I see there's this really interesting looking mask that's there. And what I mean by mask, I mean a face mask that you would wear for uh, purposes of COVID, it looks like. Um, that's just on uh, the yes. side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's Ruth Cuthand. Right. So Ruth Cuthand, I mentioned before, is an artist from Saskatchewan who made um, uh, beaded viruses that mm. were one has been given to us. It was it mm. would be like a black blush, brushed velvet background with a circle um, mm. at the top of it embedded in the velvet and it's beaded with the pattern of what that virus looks like under mm. a microscope. So mm. she's made a whole series of those. Mm-hmm. And she has a wonderful website if people want to look at right. uh, Ruth Cuthand. I think it's ruthcuthand.com, but yes, you'll right. find it easily. Yeah. Um, the COVID mask she started making at the outbreak of COVID. And what yeah. I, I just felt, you know, we must, um, you know, we must have this piece um, at the McMichael because I think, you know, my feeling is that there's a moment where, because we've all been, you know, gripped in a kind of a terrifying situation that's mm-hmm. unpredictable in which a lot of people have, you know, lost their lives. And, mm. you know, it's been a traumatic time mm-hmm. in a way for all of us, but nothing compared, of course, to the trauma of these illnesses sweeping through Indigenous communities 100, 150 years ago. I mean, right. I, you know, I'd have to go back and check my dates again, but my my thought in placing that mask, you know, in, in this Mm. display is to alert people to the fact that, you know, the feelings of vulnerability, panic, even terror that, that we are feeling collectively as a society coming through COVID is just, is just, you know, an opportunity for us to have Mm. a glimmer of empathy about the kind of, you know, harrowing experience of indigenous people where the whole communities of course were wiped out. Yeah. Sarah Milroy is my guest here on Moment of Truth today. She is the chief curator at the McMichael Canadian Art Collection in Kleinberg, Ontario. And we've been talking about the early days Indigenous art at McMichael, which is up until August 15th, which you can go and see. Now, uh, Sarah, speaking of that and open to the mm-hmm. public uh, once again, um, will there be protocols in place, you know, in terms of how many people oh, come yeah. in, you know, those kind of things? Yeah, we're actually being allowed to have more people than, in, than we had the last time, but you book tickets online. Mm-hmm. And they are timed entries, right. you know, for safety's sake. Right. But we are being, you know, I think it should be no problem um, getting tickets online. Right. You know, I'm happy to say, I mean, I, 
I guess I should wish it was going to be really, really hard to get in, but <laughs> we are in a slightly remote location. So yeah, I think we'll be able to, people will be able to be satisfied Great. Re- in reasonably short order if they want to come see the show, which I sure hope they do. Yes, of course, that and the other collections and things that you have on display as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we yes, we have the group of seven and, yep. and Tom Thompson on display downstairs, mm-hmm. which is a, you know, a display of our kind of canonical mm-hmm. core collection from the founders. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did, I should say, we have another COVID baby, um, which is we did a book called A Like Vision okay, um, yes. during the first round of COVID. Yes. And that was inviting a whole bunch of different people to respond to the paintings that are in that uh, Group of Seven and Tom Thompson show, including, I should say, a number of Indigenous uh, writers responding to the kind of complex legacies of that from Gerald McMaster, um, Tara McDuffie, uh, who's a wonderful Inuit writer, um, Bonnie Devine again was in that book with us and mm-hmm. numerous other people. Robert Hull wrote for that book. Oh, yeah. So we're really trying to like look at the canon, you know, from different perspectives and bring mm-hmm. that all together. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's is up book. until, uh, oh, that's up until September. That uh, I like Vision and, and uh, Tom Thompson is going to be up for a while. Yeah. Yeah. No panic there because <laughs> the thing is that a lot of people come to McMichael wanting to see that work. And this is a creme de la creme show. Yeah. So it's all through the downstairs of the gallery, and mm-hmm. I think we're going to leave it on for another year or so. Yep. Yes, I see. Because uh, people yes. are people are just freaking out. They're loving it so much. So we thought, right. why are we taking this down and reinventing the wheel when right. it's just such a pleasure for people to come back again and again <laughs> and just hang out there? There's a whole room of Tom Thompson sketches that are just extraordinary, and right. there's no need to rush. You yeah. know, people yeah, can yeah. take their time and come see it and come see it again. Wonderful, wonderful. Great. Thanks for telling us about that as well. Now, um, Mm -hmm. the uninvited is what you wanted to talk about as well. Well, of course, I want to talk about everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of my shortcomings, as you know. But yes, uninvited is opening in um, on September 9 or 10, I think, officially now. And that is a show we've been working on for three years. It was supposed to be up last summer. And then it was supposed to be up early this summer, and now it's going to be up on September 9th. So Mm. what's been interesting about that is we've been able to kind of go back and work on it again and expand it and, you know, do more fine-tuning of the catalog. But the show is is called Uninvited Canadian Women in the Modern Moment. And what what the show does is it's called Uninvited because the group of seven, of course, were an all-male group of painters. Mm-hmm. And even though some of them were individually quite encouraging to the women in their circle, when the the chance came to expand the ranks of the group of seven as people dropped out and other people were put in, they never asked a woman to join. And Emily Carr was one of their close associates. So you've mm. got to wonder, scratch your head a little bit about that. Right. But, you know, but also other fabulous women artists like Prudence Heward and, you know, Anne mm. Savage, and, mm. you know, well known to them remarkable women artists that, you know, many of whom people will never have heard of. I mean, right. most people have heard of Emily Carr, but that's right. about where it stops. Right. So, you know, we, we wanted to tackle the kind of masculinization of the narrative of Canadian art history because the Group of Seven in English Canada became so famous and they were so brilliant at promoting themselves and the people around them were so brilliant at promoting them. Robert McMichael being, you know, among the leaders there. Um, all the women contemporaries were kind of eclipsed in a funny way. And so we wanted to bring them out, you know, from the shadow and sort of show the, show the other side of the moon. What we also immediately realized we wanted to do was to include the cultural production of indigenous women who were active at the same time. Mm. And so, 
you know, we have baskets in the show by Sophie Frank, who was a close friend of Emily Carr's. We have beautiful Mi'kmaq um, uh, boxes, uh, quill work boxes by Bridget Ann Sack, very, very important um, uh, woman from the from Nova Scotia who made extraordinary things and that the, the uh, Nova Scotia Museum has been very generous in lending those. And they were written about in our catalog by Jordan Bennett and Melissa Peter Paul, Jordan Bennett being a leading Mi'kmaq contemporary artist and Melissa is a basket maker herself. So, mm. you know, again, we're trying to create these bridges, you know, across time. Um, also Atasiak, who is an extraordinary bead worker in um, Arviat, which was then known as Eskimo Point. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a number also Elizabeth Cat Petrant, um, working in Northern Ontario, a beautiful moss bag that's in the collection of the Royal Ontario Museum that, you know, we asked um, Christy Belcourt to write about that because mm. it's her, it's obviously a kindred spirit across time, but also Alexandra Nwagabao from the National Gallery of Canada brought her scholarship to bear. So there's quite a strong presence of Indigenous artists in the show. And there's also a number of artists, Emily Carr is perhaps most famous, mm. but also Winifred Petchy Marsh, who knew Atasiak in um, in Arviat. She was a missionary's wife mm-hmm. and did watercolors of the community there and of the people there and of the objects that were being made by the women in the community. Mm. And so, you know, we're able to connect Winifred Petchy Marsh with with Atatsiak's work. And in fact, Petchy Marsh ended up um, buying a number of things from the women in that community, and they ended up in the Manitoba Museum. So we can show Petchy Marsh's watercolors and the objects themselves together. Mm, so these mm. kind of conversations happening across the divide of culture, which I, I find, you know, kind of beautiful and encouraging. Um, Nora Brown, another uh, woman artist from Southern Alberta, mm who spent a lot of time documenting Indigenous communities down there. And, um, you know, she came east and trained at OCAD and then went home and made it her life's work to to look at, you know, to look at those communities and, and present them really in contemporary ways. Um, a very interesting person. You know, we need to know about more about her too. Mm. And her work is being shown in, in connection with, with beadworks from that that part of the prairie, the right, part right, of the West. Right. So, you know, there are these um, pairings as well. And, you know, it just creates a sense of a, a conversation happening uh, between the women, which right. I think was the case. Right. And I, you know, I, I can't help but notice that, you know, one of the bad raps that the Group of Seven get, of course, is that they portrayed um, Canada as an uninhabited place, mm-hmm. a terra nullius, that, yeah, yeah. you know, that settler people were coming and they were discovering it and so on. All, we know all this really offensive language around that. Um, they were not, they were like really must have taken some work to sidestep the indigenous presence, you know, yeah. in, in mm. these places where they traveled. And the women mm. who were their contemporaries were, were really engaging. Mm. And they were engaging both, I think, you know, I mean, perhaps there was an element of voyeurism in it. What One cannot tell what kind of notions they had in their head. Right. But the work does not look that way. It looks empathetic. It looks respectful. Mm. Like they are, you know, they are taking care to record things that they thought were very beautiful and very important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that the women in this period, you know, even the settler women were looking at things that the men were not. They were also looking at portraiture. They were interested in people. Mm. They were looking at cities mm. and how cities work. They were not all about 
charging off into the wilderness, you know, right, with a right. billy cup and a, you know, on a boxcar. They yeah. they were really looking at modern life right. and modern issues. And, you know, that's that's a, it's a whole other side to Canadian art in that period of the 1920s and 30s that you start to bring forward when you start to talk about women artists in that time. Mm. Hmm. Uh, the, the name Beaver Hall Group. Uh, yes. Yes. That, that's the part of these, uh, part of those women you've been talking yeah, this about. Was a, yeah, this is a group of uh, women artists in, in Montreal uh, that were active in the 20s and 30s. So, you know, figures um, we in, in our show, um, uh, that it is, you know, Regina, uh, sorry, Regina Seiden Goldberg sometimes showed with the Beaver Hall group. Um, Prudence Heward, likewise, Lilius Torres Newton, Emily Coonan. Um, there was a whole group of women, many of them trained by a painter called William Brimner, who is not a well known figure in mm. the annals of Canadian art, but he was a teacher in Montreal at the art school there. Mm. And he took great interest in the talent of the women that he taught, and he encouraged them enormously. And most of the women that were involved in the Beaver Hall group um, had been under his tutelage. So one of the things that opens the show, the show opens with a display of spectacular paintings by Anne Savage. Mm -hmm. But one of the spectacular paintings by Anne Savage is a portrait of William Brimner. Mm -hmm. And it's just so, it's very small in scale, but it's so tender and beautiful. And it's obvious, you know, I mean, even though the show is about you know, men dominating the field of Canadian art. And right. the, the, in a way, it refers to the group of seven kind of eclipsing all the female talent around them. You know, there are, you know, there is the fellowship of male artists in this period who really turned to look at their female students right. and honor their talents. And right. William Brimner is one of them. Mm. Lismer and MacDonald were also like that. And, you know, very much, um, very much appreciated, uh, you know, by the women who taught them. Mm. And, you know, A.Y. Jackson was a great uh, fan, you know, of women artists. But but somehow, when we look at the story of Canadian art, you know, women artists are, have not been kind of invited to the high table, you know, mm-hmm. it, and, and have not been seen as the, as the equals. And certainly the market bears that out. I mean, women artists, no matter how brilliant, mm. are nowhere near the, the trouser hem of their male contemporaries. Right, yeah. Emily Carr is starting to creep up there. Right. But... Um, you know, she's got a long way to go before she's seen as the artist that Harris was. And that's frankly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she's every bit Harris is equal. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so we're just basically uh, quietly building a battering ram here to, to try and break <laughs> up some of these preconceived ideas people have. And again, there's been much, much scholarship um, among art historians about women artists, but it hasn't really penetrated out into the general public because usually these projects are very modestly funded. When the books come out, they're very slenderly illustrated, often in black and white, you know, and, and they just haven't been given the star treatment. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're going to do it big. And that battering ram you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) quietly building is entitled the uninvited Canadian women artists in the modern moment. And it runs from June 26th until January of 2022. So it's going to be up for a while. Well, Sarah, we are, we are definitely going to have to leave it there. I'm sorry to cut you off because I would love to hear you go on uh, because you have a a beautiful (laughs) way of describing these things and with such passion as well. So it's great to hear you. Uh, you know, just just continue 
one, and we could talk until five today about all the exciting stuff yeah. going on at McMichael. I but I, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me on the show to talk about the several shows that we have talked about and uh, to get people excited about going to McMichael. Um, as you say, it's going to be opening up a little bit more now, uh, which is yep. exciting, and uh, people can get out. Of July. Yep, people can get out and yep. explore. So uh, you've got some wonderful things there for people to to go and see. It's been a pleasure having you on the show again, Sarah. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, it's such a treat for me. I love talking to you. Okay, Sarah, you take care. We'll talk again soon. You betcha. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. That's uh, Sarah Milroy, the chief curator at the McMichael Canadian Art Collection in Kleinberg. And it was a pleasure to have her on show. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with more right here on Moment of Truth right after this break. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app. Type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And I'd also like to remind you that if you have missed one of our interviews or conversations, you can also go to your favorite podcast streaming site and listen on there. And you can catch us also on our elementfm.ca website as well. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome my guest to the show, Ms. Carolyn King. Ms. Carolyn King is someone that I've known for quite a long time, and it's a real pleasure to have her on the show. And we've had her on the show before, in fact. But right now, it's especially uh, nice to have her here because she has been uh, as a recipient of the Order of Canada. And I cannot tell you how excited and how happy I was for her when I heard about this because, as I say, I've known Carolyn a long time, uh, 30 years or so. At about. least, yeah. And uh, going back to uh, when I worked at uh, the radio uh, station on Six Nations, I think that's where we first met. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, then I've worked with her with the Mississaugas, her community, and uh, over the years, wow, with the powwow committee, uh, and, you know, we've just, we've just been in touch for so long, yeah. and, and it's so, Carolyn, when I heard about this, I was so excited for you, and I'm so happy, so congratulations on the Order of Canada. Oh, well, Timmy Grish, big thank you, and uh, that's uh, it's been uh, pretty amazing, mm. you know, I was surprised, and that's so, uh, it's just... Um, Pretty humbling to mm. think that somebody, you know, recognize your activity and, mm. you know, not always work, volunteer, mm. lots of volunteer over all those years and to uh, nominate yeah. me for this, uh, you know, honor. Yeah. So the 2020 Order of Canada for Carolyn King. Now, when she says um, activity, um, her activities are numerous. <laughs> and and yes. that goes back to what I was just saying, you know, when I met Carolyn, it was at the radio station on Six Nations, and she's been involved. And I think one of the original people that started the radio station on Six yep. Nations, a community station that uh, that is there for the communities of Six Nations and Mississauga of the Credit. Now, the Mississaugas of the Credit used to be called the Mississaugas of the New Credit, and they changed their name. We might be able to talk about that a little bit, yeah. uh, but... Uh, you know, Carolyn's activities with the radio station, and she's still involved with the radio station. Yep. She is back there as working the as the yep. president of the board. And um, she's also been involved, like I said, with the, the powwow uh, cultural committee uh, at the Mississaugas yep. uh, community. And she's been involved with that for how long, Carolyn? 
Uh, well, our first powwow was uh, 1987. Mm. So that was part of uh, bringing some culture back into the community. And that uh, um, we started with just, maybe we should have a powwow this year. <laughs> and we did. Right. You know, and, and so that's one of the things. But then you got busy with other things after that. Like I'm thinking of, you, you and I don't know if you still have this, this course. You, I guess I'll call it a course because you called mm. it. Uh, Indian 101 or something Indian like that? Indian 101. Yeah. yeah. And that you took out on the road and you went to teach people no. and, and uh, introduce people, to, I guess, to... Was it just about the Mississaugas? Or no. It was about uh, Indigenous people in Canada. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and I, I did call it... I mean, I still call it that. Mm. It's my subtitle now. I call it Indigenous 101 because mm. it's right. the poli- politically of correct course. way to of say course. it. And that's... Uh, uh, and I called my presentation... Uh, chapter and verse of the law. Mm. I'm going to talk about the, uh, you know, the First Nations people, uh, the land, the treaties, mm. and all the legislation that goes around that mm. of uh, maintaining things for us, but also taking away so much. And we do the history. And um, so in my role as the community economic development person for the Mississaugas of the Credit, mm. uh, I was always talking about it, mm. you know, and, and having to explain people why it's different mm. working f- for a First Nation or having, you know, if you look to do business on a on the Indian Reserve, that um, it's, there's some different things that you need to know about. So that became my role. And really, and I think about it, I guess a lot of the things I do is all about communications. Mm. You know, I do mm. the library, do the power, do the radio station, do other volunteer things mm. that, as I say, they needed to get done. Mm. And somebody needs to step in and help make it happen. Right. And I just want to let everyone know that uh, in honor of Carolyn, um, I, I actually came out to Six Nations. Now, Mississauga of the Credit is right next door to the Six Nations community, and I happen to have a studio on Six Nations. So uh, to make it easier for Carolyn, uh, I came out to Six Nations. So we're actually doing the interview on Six Nations today. And, you know, so that's just some of the things that Carolyn has been involved with and continues to be involved with. Uh, the other big thing that she has worked on and continues to work on and it really i guess has taken on and i think that it also started to create interest and for other people to sort of take off and do similar things and that is the moccasin identifier you you started this idea of of how do we want to be identified how do you identify indigenous people what's the one thing that that's yeah. all in common and and you looked at sh- footwear yeah well you know, I, that started when I was working for for my First Nation there, Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. And I might uh, clarify, you know, I was born and raised on Six Nations. Mm. My grandmother's from the Mississaugas, so mm. I have a, a strong bloodline in mm. both places. And just a correction there, the radio station started over at New Credit right. in the back of the old council house <laughs> when we were in our experimental stage. In the back of the council house? I thought uh, it was over, in the back of a car. No, no well, <laughs> the, the machines was. <laughs> yeah. And so it was in the back of the old council house. Mm. Up the council gave us right. permission to start things there, me and right. Brian Johnson. And uh, so, at any rate, that's, uh, you know, then we moved over here mm. uh, uh, at behind TNT, I think, was our first oh, move. Yeah. 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 And that, uh, so I've been involved with a lot of, uh, well, communicating the mm. information, mm. but also the mechanisms. Right. You know, whether it's radio, whether it's uh, 
library and books and, you know, access to the Internet, but also going out and bring, doing presentations uh, to explain. And it's all about um, community d- development, business development. And so when I was at uh, one of the roles that I got hired for at the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation was in the duty to consult and accommodate office mm-hmm. under Margaret Salt. Yes. And that we had, um, we were doing a, a uh, mapping project, mm-hmm. or I should say they were, a mapping project for um, recognizing significant sites. And so that's what we were working on. And I call it the digital dot. Hmm. The moccasin identifier came out of that work. We we were doing research and identifying sites that we would like to educate people about. Like using your phone, your smartphone, and that you'd go uh, down the street and that you would say, oh, there's, there's a site here that I... I might be interested in. So the digital dot was the driver behind, or the catalyst behind the moccasin identifier. And at one of the the uh, three-day historical gathering, uh, I was presenting, and the um, people in the audience uh, asked the question, seniors uh, said, so if I went to that site, what will I see? Mm. And what if I don't have a phone, let alone a smartphone? And so I said, well, probably nothing. It's been dug up, mm. paved over, built mm. over. You know, mm. maybe you'll see a, a field, a parking lot, a golf course, a mm. school, whatever. Mm. All of our sites have been covered over. And so they said, well, maybe you should consider a placking. Mm. And so I said, okay, we'll talk about that. So that discussion happened afterwards. And this was the Friday mm-hmm. of the three-day gathering, the last day. And so we talked about it and said, yeah, that'd be, be a good idea. And so they said, come up with a – you need a symbol. If you're going to do a plaque, you need a symbol that's going right. to represent. And we say, okay. And they, first of all, we thought an eagle feather. Uh-huh. And I said, no, that that is too sacred to us. Mm. The indigenous people, the eagle feather. And I'll say, you know, I just received the Order of Canada, but I, uh, many times in my presentation, I talk about my eagle feather that I received from the community in recognition of, of my work and in ceremony at mm-hmm. the Pawa. Mm-hmm. That uh, I... Uh, Say so this too sacred to us, and mm. it, if you don't understand how important it is to us as Indigenous people, you just think about your Order of Canada. So mm. now I have mm. both <laughs> on both sides. So that's that's very very uh, honoring, right. and that. Uh, so I, I said, no, can't do the eagle eagle and have it on the ground and people not understand, uh, or eagle feather. Uh, and then they said, well, maybe the dotums, the deer, the mm. you know the clan, mm. the mm. clan system. And I said, it's the same thing. Those things are important to us and actually represent our, you know, existence within the traditional system. And so they said, well, we better come up with something. Mm. You got to think about what what would be the symbol then. Mm-hmm. And by next week, <laughs> by next Friday, we got a meeting with the government. <laughs> and I said, okay. So I went back to my office at New Credit there and that uh, I uh, wrote on the board, on my whiteboard. And I wrote, what will identify us and connect us to the ground, to the land? Mm. And I said, it shouldn't have taken me three days. But I went in there and read it every morning and said, what is it? Mm. And on the third day, I said, it's our footwear. (laughs) 
and the idea was born. Right. So that's how I call myself the creator and founder of the Moccasin Identifier. Yeah. And we went and met with the bat. The next step was the Bata Shoe. Yep. Because uh, they have a huge indigenous collection. If people haven't been there, they should certainly meet, go there. They have an amazing collection. And uh, sometimes they put on different exhibits. Well, a Different exhibits uh, all ongoing there, supporting the indigenous. Mm. Uh, so I had the opportunity to to be in the vaults. Right. I've seen all that, yeah. and it's just amazing. Uh, yeah, I remember you telling me about that and, and, yeah. that, and how amazed you were and, and yeah. what they have. Yeah, I say that there's few things in this world that take my breath away mm. and stop me from talking. <laughs> it was going into those vaults. You know, it's... Um, and uh, it wasn't the odor from the shoes that, that took <laughs> no. your breath away. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's leather. Right. It's smoked. Mm. And it is somebody's footwear. Yeah. So it has a smell. I sure. can smell it now. Sure. Yeah. And so it took... I went in there and I just went... <gasps> just stopped. It, yeah. You just got to like be part of it. Right. You know, when you first see it. Amazing collection. Yeah. Uh, and a great support of the yeah. indigenous people around the world. Right. Now, Carolyn, the other thing that we didn't mention yet about your achievements and what you have done is that you are also the first woman chief of the Mississaugas as yes. well. So. Yeah, I was an employee. I started as an employee of the First Nations in 1980 in the Economic Development Program. Mm. Uh, and so I always kind of stayed in economic development mm. and that I worked there for 14 and a half years and left uh, to go work at AIAI oh, yeah. uh, as the Economic Development Coordinator for a program there. And then I went to uh, uh, election. A few things were happening in the community, and uh, and I've been part of doing the community planning and supporting projects and, you know, all kinds of projects that we help build the community. And that uh, when you're doing community development, it's just everything, mm. whatever needs to be done. And I was part of the planning process. So and then. Uh, 80s there, uh, the Department of Indian Affairs, as it was known, uh, promoted comprehensive community planning. And the Mississaugas of the Credit took it up. And we did, uh, you know, all the, all the studies, all the assessments, and then we uh, developed a, a plan uh, for our community, land use, rules, and regulations, all of that. It was all part of that process. And I learned a lot about, you know, community mm. development, mm. community planning, and that uh, it has helped us move forward. Uh, the, the comprehensive community plan became the foundation mm. for all of our, our next activities. Mm. And bringing back culture was one of them. Mm. You know, that's the, the library came in mm-hmm. uh, into play because of that, the cultural committee, right. uh, having the power of bringing elements back into the community because mm. we had been away so long from from the culture and traditions. Mm. Uh, the Mississaugas moved from the the um, Toronto area, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 18- Credit Fo- River. the Credit, Credit River, yeah. uh, 1847, and that we moved as a, uh, our group moved as a Christianized group. Mm. So they left a lot behind. And uh, so it's been a long time getting that back. So I like to think that um, activities that I did and promoted to help bring bring that back and we're starting we have language we have activities we have the power and it would have been its 34th year yeah, uh, yeah. this year and it's just a start it's still mm-hmm. you know we're still dealing with all the influence right now the other thing you mentioned a couple of times there and I'm not sure exactly because of your I know your involvement with the the cultural committee for the powwow but the three-day historical gathering is another event that's been going on for over 10 years yes 
And uh, I know you're always there, but I'm not sure of your involvement with it. I know you're either speaking or you're making presentations. Uh, mm. What is your involvement with that? I sit on the committee with Margaret. Oh, okay. Yeah, we sit on the planning committee and mm. ideas, and we invite people to come in. And, we, yeah. you know, we plan and strategize about who to come in and speak, and we kind of develop a theme or yeah. what's happening. And so, and, and that event, of course, three days, and you have some fabulous speakers mm. that you bring in and, and talk about. A lot about the Mississaugas, but you also talk about other nations and, and you invite yeah. other people from other nations to come in and, and make presentations yeah. as well. And it's always a really interesting three-day event that you yeah. document for the community. Do you, are there many other First Nations doing that kind of thing? Well, we found that there there are others. Yeah. You know, they, uh, all of us... Uh, you know, being an employee and doing community development, and mm. as I call it, building the nation, mm-hmm. that uh, um, we we attended other people's things, you know, and saying, well, we should do this. Right. And there was the drive to to bring our history yeah. Uh, yeah. out. Right. And that uh, the historical gathering is all about gathering up our history. And the idea there is to bring that information uh, to a public venue, record it, uh, documented, and to um, anyone who is who has written something about us, so it's a, a kind of a very academic type of uh, venue. Mm. Uh, so anybody's written about us, you know, uh, done their research papers on us, uh, who have information uh, that our community would need, like the traditional information, mm. and uh, promoting us as Anishinaabe people. Mm-hmm. So bringing that in, and then you know, there's. But there's lots of non-native people who who have information that helps us understand, you know, uh, our own life and our own history too. So it's um, it's a great great little venue. Mm. I was just watching one the other day. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's so. Uh, I was like, I need to listen to that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, and thank you for being a part of all of that. Oh, all it's these a years. pleasure. It's, uh, it's really a pleasure to to have yeah. been been that. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of that, it supposedly would be coming up this year. What's going to be happening now under the COVID rules and things? Well, I think we're still shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So just managed to get in in this past Mm -hmm. year, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, so this coming year uh, with what's happening now in Ontario, well, across the country, across the world, that uh, restrictions and we're not sure. Uh, what I haven't talked to Margaret about what they're doing. They're so occupied with just dealing with mm. closed down and mm. how you deliver your service right. in such a restricted uh, way. So you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can also listen to our previous interviews and conversations on your favorite streaming platform and on our website as well, and that's at uh, elmntfm.ca. My guest is Carolyn King. It is a pleasure to have Carolyn back on the show. She is a member of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. She was the first woman elected chief. She has just received the 2020 Order of Canada recipient, uh, one of the recipients. So it's a pleasure to have her on the show. We started talking about that. I really, uh, I want to ask Carolyn to explain a little bit more about her her um, experience of receiving the Order of Canada yeah. because she was telling me a little bit about this. And I think it's a story, Carolyn, that you should share with people oh. because... <laughs> 
they had been trying to get a hold of you, yeah. and the deadline was coming up, and and. Well, you tell the story, please. Well, the, the phone, um, this is funny. The phone call, uh, I got a message on my phone. And that, uh, yeah, um, I seen the phone call. And mm. then, then I heard, listened to the message, just said a person mm. from Rideau Hall. And then that uh, you have a message. Uh, I'll let, so the messaging went on. I, I think it was th- three days, maybe even four, mm. that they were calling. And so then the, the next one was, you know, a little bit more. We really need to speak with you. And so... Uh, so I know about the Order of Canada, you know, that you get nominated and mm. get appointed. Mm. And that's so uh, then you have to, you know, vet everybody. Right. They, sure. have, they check yeah. everybody out yeah. and, and being that you are who you are and you do what you do. Mm. Uh, anyway, so uh, they were calling me because they wanted me to be, I was named as a reference for somebody else. Mm. So I was occupied. Mm-hmm. And uh, so and I, I was just like, well, I'm Better get back to it. And then, say, on the, the Wednesday when I finally talked, I did call back and, mm. and I just left a message and because uh, they didn't connect. Then I saw the email, and I'm like, hmm. So I, I called, and uh, she says, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad that you I've connected with you. I was getting desperate trying to reach you. <laughs> and I said, well, I just thought that you were looking for me to recommend on somebody else. She goes, no, it's you. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Here, I've just been putting it off, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> trying to get back to it. Yeah, so we had a good conversation about that. <laughs> yeah, so when you found out it was actually for you that you yeah. had been nominated, what did you do? How did you, what did you think? <laughs> yeah, well, I kind of laughed. I'm like, hmm, okay. <laughs> and and she's asked, she asked you the question. Hmm. Uh, you've been nominated and, you know, the governor general <laughs> has appointed you. And she said, um, do you accept? And I go, hmm. I guess. And she goes, you have to say yes or no. And I go, um, I guess, yes. <laughs> and that was it. And I was still like kind of like in shock and mm. kind of, you know, giggling about it right. and saying, hmm, what yeah. does this mean? Right. So and, I was honored. Honor, yeah, really. And then she asked you, I think, another question that you, that you still had to answer yes or no to. And you, you were. Th- oh, yeah, about whether you're going to be, uh, you know, whether you accept uh media oh, that the people talk to you and right, right. all those kinds of things. You have to fill out a, a survey. Oh, you yeah. have to give legitimate right. uh, market right. and sign it and mm. things like that. So there's a bit of process there. Yeah. And so and agreeing to do that that you know I've, I've been you know just since the announcement mm. and before because the media gets it beforehand. I've been able to you know do announcements uh, or interviews and um, stories are being done. I'm still right in the middle of it yet. Mm. And I said, I need a press secretary to handle all this (laughs) stuff, you know. And it's just great that you get, you know, I got emails from um, people or calls, Mm. uh, mainly emails Mm. from Switzerland, England, New Zealand, people who over Mm. time, a student who I talked to and worked with, uh, uh, the French group, Danielle is in Switzerland now, and Clara's in England, and so people are getting emails from around the, the world <laughs> from old friends and said, and uh, uh, I um, said, I was a student in one of your speeches in Kingston. I remember you. <laughs> so, wow. So, yeah, so that's pretty, uh, you know, overwhelming that, you know, you had such a, yeah. you know, and, and wonderful remarks, like, Carolyn, you've changed my life. Yeah. You know, things like that, that's just, or or that you don't realize how much you influenced me. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, if that's, you know, what the role is, then, you know, I think you've 
managed to do that, and I'm still optimistic that we're going to change the world. Mm. You know, and I think the, you know, when we go back to the moccasin identifier, it became a stenciling project that it is today. Yes. And the idea there is still based on education and awareness for First Nations, mm. and mainly the treaty, the mm. First Nations who have treaties, and that, uh, you know, that the idea is to get it into the school system, and that the uh, s- students would be edu- use some um, the teachers would have lessons plans to go mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. which are now on the website the moccasinidentifier.com mm-hmm. website free lesson plans one right, to eight right. uh, in Ontario mm-hmm. and that uh, they will research whose land their school is built on yeah. near or what treaty land they're in and that information is in the lessons right. and then they take one of the four stencils that we have developed yes. with the help of artists and researcher uh, Philip Cote. Yes. And that uh, they go out onto the, onto the, on paper if it's a rainy day, or outside onto the sidewalk mm. and stencil mm. one of the four onto the ground. Well, we let them use any of them, right. uh, even though the Cree are not land based here. Right. Um, but it's just an amazing little project. Yeah. And we're starting over to educate and make aware the mm. kids. Mm. And hopefully that's going to change right. the perspective that, you know, the yeah. people have as they grow up. So it's been um, – and so people say, how does it work? Right. Do you think it works? Right. And I said, I really think it does. Mm. I believe in it. Mm. And that uh, I've seen when people have been stenciling mm-hmm. and we you – know, the, the children mm-hmm. – um, they stencil, and it's just it with wash away paint, yeah. and it will go away, and they do it again next year. So mm. it's ongoing, ongoing, mm-hmm. and that um, this uh, when when they stencil and then they lift it up yeah. and they see what they produced, the awe, and they just you know like sort of mm. takes their breath away. I've mm. seen that mm. in not only children but adults too, mm. when they lift it up and they see mm. that amazing stencil. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to change the world. And I said, uh, my I have a dream too, that uh, Ontario is going to be covered with moccasin identifiers mm. within the next decade, mm. and they'll forever know whose land they're on. <laughs> that's great. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, and uh, Carolyn, you know the other thing that you mentioned there earlier, uh, briefly you, you mentioned it, and that was the role that you play and. You know, you you are now in the position from the comments you heard from people, you know, coming back to you. You're now a, a role model for people. W- yeah. What does that oh, say darn. to you? <laughs> <laughs> Got to be good now. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. Uh, it's, uh, you know, sometimes you don't realize what what you're doing and how you're impacting people. And uh, hopefully that it's all been for the good mm. uh, for our Indigenous people across the mm the country mm. and that uh, so I've always been an advocate for you know here, us in southern Ontario mm. uh, Six Nations New Credit and surrounded by the most populated area of the country you know that we get lost in all of that so yeah. Yeah. how important it's been to to keep educating right. and explaining to people uh, about who we are uh, where we are what we are and why and so that I think this is the basis of how we change people's thoughts about, you know, how we, our relationships go. Mm. And yeah, we're still in the middle of conflict in uh, a lot of places, including right here. Yeah, hey, Carolyn, as you reflect back on, you know, the things that you've accomplished and the comments that you've heard, what comes to mind? What do you think about in terms of, uh, of what 
the major points are that you think that you've been able to stick in people's minds? Well, well for, I always say that we were there mm. when the settlement started in North America, and we as First Nations Indigenous people are still here. Mm. And people need to realize that. And we come with a lot of history, the basis of this country, and that uh, we're legislated people, and we have a role to play in the, the future of this country. Mm. And I think if we're going to help that and uh, make people realize that we're, we're a part of this country and the original part of it, and that we should have a place um, beside it. So we get into governance issues, constitutional issues. You know, it's just, um, I think that we should have a new constitution mm. that includes uh, mm. the First Nations. Yeah. Well, it certainly sounds like your work is not done by any means. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's sounding like that. You know, congratulations to you, Carolyn, once again. I, I, as I say, I'm so happy for you on receiving the Order of Canada and for all the achievements and, and all the things that you've done to, to help uh, promote Indigenous people to the non-Indigenous population uh, of this country and, and around Ontario. And, you know, it, it's so great and you've been so active and, and that's why I think it's, uh, it's really wonderful that you've been recognized for, for all the work that you do. And I also want to say that on, the, on a personal front, you know, I know that, that uh, your husband, Fred is, is dealing with some issues, and I know you have that on your plate as well. And we want to wish Fred all the best, yeah. and uh, our thoughts go out to him. Uh, but also, you know, our thoughts go to you. And, and you know, don't forget that uh, we're here to help. So if there's anything we can do here at Element FM to yeah. help you uh, uh, get that word out and promote things, uh, please remember uh, that we're here, and, and we're happy to do so. Okay. Shimigwish. Thank right. you very much, yeah. David. Shimigwish. And that is the voice of Carolyn King. She's my guest here on Moment of Truth. She is one of the new recipients of the 2020 Order of Canada. First woman chief at the Mississaugas of the Credit. She is also the organizer of the Moccasin Identifier, as we said. She's involved with the CKRZ radio station on Six Nations. Oh, boy, she is, she's got her hands <laughs> full with so many things. And it's always a pleasure to speak with Carolyn. And uh, again, we want to thank you for listening to the station each and every day and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth, and we will see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.